10,000 feet up, breaking all the lights on the doors. And I ain't seen no ceilings. We came in through the top floor. Three oars rip right round your jugular. You're listening to Feminist Killjoys, PhD, in our feminism, pop culture, and politics, as discussed by two professional Killjoys. I'm Rachel. And I'm Melody. And today we'll be discussing Marxism with very special guests, Maga and Stella of SALT. We'll tell you more about them in a minute. But first, Melody, where can our listeners find us on the internet? You can find us on your favorite podcast application. Uh, you can download podcasts on iTunes, Overcast, you choose extra FKJ points if you leave us a review on iTunes. On the social media tip, you can follow us on the Gram, the Twitter, and the FB. You can like our FB page for episode updates, or you can join our closed community group where you can have more discussions with us. And the community group is Feminist Killjoys Community Dash WTF Power Exclamation Point. On the FI, we have a mixtape, so search for Feminist Killjoys PhD mixtape. And if you have extra dollars and want to support feminist media makers, you should donate to our Patreon. And if you donate to our Patreon, you get access to our newsletter. And if you donate $5 or more, you get access to bonus episodes. And lately, we've been doing them on The Bachelorette, which um, had a week hiatus. More about that later on our bonus apps. And if you are just in the mood for a one-time donation, which we also super appreciate, you can go to our website, feministkilljoyspodcast.com, click on the birdie and send us some coffee and tea money. If uh, you would like to email us, you can email us back in 2005 at fkj.phd at gmail.com. Hello, Rachel. How are you? I'm so good, Melody, because I just saw you IRL for the first time in a couple months, although we've been really doing well seeing each other IRL. But listeners may remember that uh, Melody had mentioned a surprise trip that my partner was planning. And I admittedly had guessed that it was probably going to be Portland and that Melody was probably going to surprise me and be there. And sure enough, that is what it was. But it was still, even though I, even though I suspected, I was still very excited, very, very, very excited. And we could talk a lot about how much fun we had. Um, I'll give the short version for our listeners. We got to hang out, you and me, Mel, and we got to hang out with Lacey of Flex Your Heart Radio podcast and Molly of Smash Everything and a bunch of other really bow, fucking bow, cool bow, people. Bow. <laughs> your horn. Bow, bow, bow. There you go. Thanks. Yeah. So, yeah, it was it was fucking incredible. And there were also a million other amazing rad people that I met that I sort of knew from the Internet as as well. So shout out to all of you. Uh, I got to work out with Lacey, which was rad. You hooked me up with the best manicure of my life. If y'all don't you should follow us on the gram on our gram FKJPH underscore PhD. But if you want to see my nails, you can. Oh, there may be there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't th- no they're not on our no, on, they're not, they're not on the gram but I'm at rebel girl Rachel if you don't follow me on the gram so you can look at my nails they're really fucking amazing so that bye, bye Chi Chi of Best Nails Club so shout out to Chi and fingers crossed she'll come on our show sometime and yeah totally talk to us. yeah she's so 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 cool so yeah and then I ate like a ridiculous amount of delicious vegan food and it was just such a good trip and I'm so grateful that you took time to travel there and hang out with me and we had a really great time it was awesome 
I agree. <laughs> Good. I had a great time with you. Also, uh, I got to see you. You had to be on your plane at this point, but I got to see friend of the podcast and former guest, Dr. Dana Showalter, and her fucking cute, cutest little boy baby um, of current in my life. I've, I've known some very cute boy babies and gr- uh, babies of all genders, I'm sure. But currently, Harvey is the is the cutest little boy baby uh, in my life. He is a muffin and got to meet meet him and hang out with Dana and her partner and her baby and her dog. And that was great. So shout out to a friend of the podcast, Dana, as well. But that's been the bulk of the week. And now I'm back and back to the grind. And we are back to the podcast after a fun, well, after a fun and then heavy episode with with John last week, uh, which we were grateful for. But that's that. You have any other news? Just that John picked me up from the airport, no big deal, and drove me to the Lynx game in which we watched the Lynx kick the butts of the Sparks, who we lost the championship game to last year. So that's awesome. Just more John in my life. Yes. There's never <laughs> enough John in my life. So <laughs> I'm glad we are friends. And thank you for introducing us to each other and to the FKJ world. Yeah. He's rad. Totally. Totally. And hilarious. It's true. We could say a lot more about Portland, but we want to get right into our interview because it was fucking rad uh, that we got to have with MAGA and Stella of SALT. SALT is a multimedia project designed to produce critical inquiry about social and cultural issues from a Marxist Chicanismex perspective. SALT seeks to be a think tank for tricky and pernicious questions which complicate the status quo, all the while creating new schools of thought. Like the wild nopal growing every which direction, the work will sometimes be a thorn in our side. Other times it will be the sweet tuna fruits of our collective labor. And that was their official bio. So that's their words. They're, they're, they'll say a lot about what all of that means in the interview. And I'm, I'm really excited to, to share it with you because it's a really exciting to me project. As longtime listeners know, we've been wanting to do this sort of 101 of different kinds of radical politics. And we had Elias on in episode 50 to talk about anarchism. And so on episode 60, we wanted to talk about Marxism, and I really didn't want to have a white dude talk about it because Marxism is full of white dudes. And so when I discovered the SALT Instagram account, which is just one of the platforms of this project, I loved the content on it, and uh, I loved that they were inserting race and sexuality and gender into into the discussion of Marxism, which is how I've become so adamant as t- to define myself as a Marxist because I've, I've found the potential of, of those combining those things. So it just seemed like they were the perfect people to talk through what Marxism is and what it can mean. So that's what we're about to share with you all. And I hope you enjoy it. Melody, take us take us there. To begin, can you just tell us about SALT and what your sort of goals and how it all came to be? Yeah, so we came about pretty recently. Yeah, we I mean we started salt formally, um, I guess in uh, May, right? Early May, late yeah, April? not more than like two months ago. Yeah. <laughs> two so months it's ago. really exciting that you guys um, were able to find us. But but as individuals, Stella and I had like identified as Marxists for years and as Chicanas. And had done like various inquiry kind of projects into them, like on our own, not really in a sort of systematic way. When I first met Stella, I I learned about her online. She had like a Tumblr and like an Instagram account, and she had been presenting these papers at Historical Materialism in London, mm. which was the big like Marxist academic conference. 
And she was like the lone Chicana doing inquiries about like culture and and I don't know, I mean she can speak to this too, but I think it was also a very white male space <laughs> in general. Um yeah, no, it, it it still is. I mean it's it's changing. It's the demographics are definitely changing as more and more people of color and uh non dude identifying people start to to present and and join uh, the work. I mean, they've, they've been here, right? We've been here. But uh, more and more people are starting to to uh, be presenting their work and engaging each other. And so I'd been presenting at uh, a number of different conferences over the last couple of years as a non, you know, sort of academic person. Uh, coming into these spaces was definitely very nerve-wracking. Um, I felt... Uh, incompetent, as though I didn't have the uh, you know the the academic chops to to stand um, there with with people and tell them things that you know I felt like they might they might already know. But after my first conference, people were like, actually, no, I didn't know that. That's actually really really important stuff that you're talking about. Um, so Maga and I met online because you know through through social media we'd been posting either questions or starts to answers to these questions about. Uh, around a particular question, which is why aren't more um, Chicanas, Chicanos, Chicanex people identifying as Marxist? That was, I guess, the central question that really brought us together. We wanted to figure out, you know, why are there so few of us that um, are finding each other? Um, So we met over the internet about two years ago and ended up both living in Brooklyn as of last fall and met met in person, met IRL, and started to you know to do this inquiry together, to do have these conversations, have these meetings, think about ways to widen the platform and include other people who are out there and are certainly having these questions, um, and figure out how do we how do we centralize this, how do we uh, bring these people together, and how do we s- systemize our project, our own inquiries, and synthesize them and try to uh, develop something new and expand what's already out there. With that said, can you explain for listeners who might not be so familiar with Marxism, like how you define Marxism and what Marxism means to you as Chicanas? So, or Chicanx, I'm sorry, I don't mean to yeah, identify yeah. you. No, no, I mean, I think I both personally, Stella and I personally both identify as Chicanas, but okay. But yeah, you bring up a really interesting point. That was one of the, actually one of the big things that Stella was posting about online that like drew my attention was, which was about how Chicanese mix um, with an X in the, instead of the CH in the front and an X at the very end is all, is like a way of representing how Chicanese was very dynamic and is changing a lot to represent both like questions of indigeneity and questions of sexuality and gender. Although we do identify as Chicanas, so it's fine. It's really fine if you call us that. Just wanted to make sure. No, thanks yeah, for checking no. in. Basically, full disclosure, <clears throat> I think both of us come from backgrounds of being Marxist militants. We were in different organizations. I myself belong to like an organization, like a front group, I guess you would call it, for like a Trotsky's organization for six and a half years and then left because I was kind of frustrating, frustrated with the way that it operated, but like still was interested in these questions. So full disclosure, that's my background. I now sort of am more in the autonomous Marxist feminist camp. Um, and I belong to actually a communist group in New York City, a collective called Red Bloom. But I think that part that's part of what we're trying to challenge with this project is like, when people talk about Marxism and having a Marxist identity, 
usually what they're talking about is a tendency, whether that's Maoism, Trotskyism, ultra-leftism, democratic socialism. And that's that's real. Those are very um, important categories for a lot of us. But that's really, SALT is really trying to um, push against the grain in terms of like sectarianism. So we're trying to draw from different traditions because for ourselves, like all of these traditions have important concepts for explaining Chicanisma uh, and Chicanismex. And we want to provide a platform that's non-sectarian so that people who might be at home sort of like flirting with these ideas can see this as a space for them to have a platform. At least that's what we imagine SALT to be. And as far as how we define Marxism, um, we really see Marxism as a theoretical framework, uh, which, you know, will allow us or it does allow us to examine um, and understand our world in its social totality as it exists under capitalism. So, you know, we borrow from from Lenin uh, or this quote that we're borrowing from Lenin really elaborates, you know, on that Marxist method as a way of understanding the and we quote, the subtotal of economic relationships as a result of the mutual relations between groups which have different interests and different historical roles. Yeah, basically, we think that we all play a role in the grand scheme or social totality. And we're really trying to figure out, like, and play around with the idea of Chicanexes playing a role. We know that workplace struggles are important. I think a lot of Marxist groups, like, emphasize or overemphasize, like, the proletariat industrial worker, right, as like the figure of socialist revolution. And I think that probably, you know, Marx did write that in the last instance, the working class really is like a revolutionary organization because it's got a relationship to the means of production in a, in a very real way where it can shut it down. But that's not to say that workers are like the only or the even the most important group or class to mobilize for revolutionary purposes. And we think Chicanexes have a role to play in that. Even just like historically, like the last 10 years we saw, I, I personally was politicized in 2006 in my hometown, hometown of LA, where Chicanex people and Latinx people organized as immigrants in the day without an immigrant and day without a Mexican walkouts, right? They weren't organizing necessarily as workers, but they were organizing around this very important identity of immigrants or Mexicans or Central Americans. And you had millions of people coming out into the streets in like a real way that was probably like the closest thing we've seen in recent years to a general strike. So I think that, yeah, my experience or our experience really complicates this notion of like who Marxism is for and how it can explain, you know, the revolution for whom and by whom. Yeah, absolutely. I was in uh, Chicago in 2006 for the march. So, and Melody and I have talked before about we we got politicized sort of in early 2000s during the Iraq War. But I remember sort of having a shift in consciousness in 2006 about about how to getting closer to having having a Marxist analysis of things. Partly because I saw like good good Marxists that you know either works for labor unions or not that mm-hmm. were articulating the struggle of oppressed people mm-hmm. directly related to an identity like to a racial identity category and to and to mm-hmm. immigrant mm-hmm. status and that felt really important and sort of more inviting than what I was 
kind of trying to make sense of Marxism from just these like old, you know, white radicals that maybe didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't really have like a, I mean, I grew up working class, so I had a framework of like the factory worker, but I, it, it clicked more for me when, when I was able to see it articulated along with identity. So that, um, mm-hmm. it's cool that 2006 was that sort of for you. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, just to add to that, we were recently, I was recently involved in organizing the international women's strike nationally. And like, I mean, the amount of ways that people will invalidate identity-based Marxist struggles is, like, appalling, right? Like, there's, like, every excuse under the book. Either that's not actually a working-class struggle or, you know, it's a privilege to strike as women. Mm. It was very, like, surprising and bizarre. And I think that if we sort of periodize the last period of struggle starting in 2006 and we might understand that like the relationship in like a very real way between yeah like identity status or oppressed national status or oppressed status and like working class struggle which they are inextricably linked when i first tried to read marx it was like above my head and i feel like like i was saying before like it just didn't like connect with me but the first time i read members of the black panther party talking about Mm -hmm. marx and lenin i was like oh, I get it. And so when we Mm -hmm. look back historically, like my entry point into Marxism was, like I said, through the immigrant movement, through learning more about the Black Panthers, through learning more about Cuba and Fidel Castro. And that was, you Mm -hmm. know, certainly very much about race and, you know, a third worldism and nationhood and things like that. And so for me, when I hear people who are still trying to say that I you know that identity is a distraction I'm just a little baffled because we the most powerful I think like marxist informed movements have been by people of color who articulate that specifically <laughs> for sure and that's you know that's actually one of the key things that we want to do um or that we do do already is that we don't conflate marxism with this class supremacy at the expense of identities you know race gender sexuality do exist. And I, we think that that's a theoretical mistake that's often made. And, you know, e- even when Marx talked about class, he did, you know, he did early on talk about two classes. He talked about the bourgeois and he talked about the proletariat classes, but he didn't mean um, socioeconomic status as in, you know, middle class and whatnot um, in that, so you know, sociological sense. It was more about the relationship of the means of production, the, the relationship that um, the proletariat has to the means of production versus the bourgeoisie. And we can see today the proletarization is uneven and classes are always already differentiated. Uh, modern capitalism really needs to be, it really needs it to be that for there to be a radicalized and gendered um, and immigrant sectors of the working class, it really needs to stratify the working class that way. Yeah, I, I'm really interested in like the work of Grace Hong, who writes mm-hmm. about, she uses the term flexibility. She talks about how in, like, in political economic analysis, there's this notion of flexibility, right, which is about the explicit use of differenti- differentiation and divers- diversification of classes, right? Like, And the this sort of, it's an accumulation strategy that modern capitalism like loves, right? You always like, see like women workers in like Bangladesh and a different group of women workers in Central America, right? Doing different kinds of jobs. You have like Uber drivers that are racialized this particular way, and you have all all over the place. Modern capitalism like de- depends on this. So then I think the mistake that a lot of like American socialists have made has been to focus 
at the expense of other things, like on this question of class, which we, again, we said like is a kind of vulgar reading of like Marx and of class. And then that, that really just means in practice that it's the white working class, you know, mm-hmm. the working class is not white in the U S right. right. <laughs> I say this or anyway, the working class is not white, but even if the working class, the majority of the working class was white, I think this is kind of what you were getting at with like, these struggles of the Panthers and like drum the Detroit revolutionary <laughs> workers that mm-hmm. we're talking about, even if the white working class is a part of the working class, we still need to struggle with them and not be pandering to like this lowest and not common denominator, like racist interests of, of a white working class. Right. It's not enough to just say, well, that's who the work, working, working, that's who the working class is. They're white. And therefore we should like pander to them if they have racist ideas about the class like no we should still be elevating these questions of race and of gender and of difference even in places like you know trump counties (laughs) yeah absolutely so Melody knows this. I did my dissertation on the relationship between the U.S. labor movement and LGBT workers and did sort of a historical, Mm. some history about that. And one of the most cool things that I learned about was the Marine Cooks and Steward Union, which was the first Mm. um, the first union that allowed, you know, men of color to, to join it. And they had slogans that were. Um, it was like red baiting is race baiting is queer baiting mm-hmm. or is queen, right. queen baiting. And all of those things are anti-union. And so, you know, we have to s- stand up for each other, you know, regardless of all of those things. And so, you know, this is back in like the 30s that this was being like very explicitly understood that, you know, the whole and and, you know, of course, I think, you know, an injury to one is an injury to all is becomes, you know, this very simple but very a, a slogan that really actually kind of encompasses exactly what what bringing identity and solidarity through an intersectional lens in that way that, you know, that it's not new. Like that slogan is very old. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's, it's just unfortunate that it's been taken up without that so much. So you were kind of hinting at this, but I was just curious more to go back to your organization of SALT, kind of, and I know that you're you're a new organization, but if you could just tell us a little bit more about what the goals of the organization are, specifically along the lines of praxis, so the idea of blending this amazing Marxist theory with actual, like, practices in the in the real world, what is this going to look like, and, and what are your goals? Yeah, so I guess we should start with saying SALT isn't an organization per se. We're trying to be a kind of platform. Currently, we have a Facebook page and an Instagram page. I think it's eventually going to be a blog page too. um, But first, we have to get through our first issue. Sol is a platform that we created for engaging these questions that lie at the intersections of Marxism and Chicanismex. A lot of the questions, you know, like Stella was saying, we, we had for ourselves were like, you know, how does nationalism and the Partido Liberal uh, Mexicano and Ricardo Flores Magón fit into this? How does the August 29th movement and Ana Nieto Gomez fit into a contemporary analysis of Marxism and Chicanismo? How does sexuality, um, the internet, like race, like there's like a million questions the more we started probing. And so we, we think that we're not the only people that have had these sorts of questions and haven't really had the space to talk about them. So, you know, we're, we're creating those questions as we're going. And, and I think that, yeah, one of the sort of key parts of this is going to be like inquiries into people's movements and struggles about, um, 
you know, there's a lot of Chicanos today involved in, in struggles against gentrification. We know a lot of people that were up at the No Dakota Access Pipeline protests. Yeah, we see like struggles for water, environmental racism, more traditional workers movements, questions of autonomy, sort of like there aren't a ton of spaces where people can talk about those from a Marxist perspective. So like, yeah, we're trying to be that platform, but also like on a cultural level, right? We're trying to give people space to think about concepts and like how much does the question, for example, of mestizaje, like how relevant is it still when we talk about race? You know, how relevant is this category of machismo? Mm -hmm. Like, so yeah, it's both. It's like a cultural project and also like an inquiry project. And yeah, to us, some of the connections seem pretty obvious. Like, yeah, why wouldn't Marxist Chicanismo? Why wouldn't these two things like have a bunch of overlap? But, um, you know, we've felt also at the same time, like when Stella was talking about um, her experience at HM. I think we we felt a similar experience within Chicanx spaces where there's not a space, you know, it's the alternative. There's not a space for us to talk about Marxism within those spaces. Mm. So we, we felt like this was like a sort of, this called for like a decolonial Chicana feminist like moment of like an aha moment of like, we're in a space of Nepantla as um, Gloria Anzaldúa used that sort of Nahuatl word of Nepantla to mean like this in-between space, this like no place, like a fringe place. And I think that um, it's gonna, I mean, it's spoken to us and we think it's speaking to other people. I mean, we just launched like maybe two months ago and already have had a ton of people like show interest. People were like, how can I get involved in this project? Can I submit my artwork? Can I submit a piece that I've been thinking about? And we're like, uh, we didn't even think that far ahead. <laughs> we were just trying to like, have some kind of multimedia platform, but yes, like you're invited and you're welcome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the reception we've already had, and again, you know, maybe we have 12 posts on Instagram has been really, really amazing and, uh, and encouraging. Obviously we're like, Whoa, okay. People, people really want, want to participate in this. And like Maga was saying, you know, there, it's, it's, it's a cultural project as, as well. And I think what, for me, what's, what's most um, enticing is, that a lot of the people that are, are reaching out to us now that, you know, our, our Instagram is up and our Facebook is up, a lot of these um, Chicanx uh, folk who are reaching out to us are people who, you know, have been part of the Chicana, Chicanx milieu for a minute. And, and they've, you know, they've been explicit in saying that what what's attracted them to us is our deliberate Marxist politics. Mm. You know, I think one of the things that we've, um, that we continue to, to try and and uh, understand and engage is the cultural turn of of Chicanx politics and Latinx politics. So there's a ton of Instagram and Facebook and blog blogs out there who are taking up a lot of these questions, but leaving out of these conversations are issues of class struggle, class politics, and that you know we see that as I guess a diversion from our you know historical 
political roots of uh, Chicanismo, the Chicano movement, um, and our tradition. And we, you know, we're trying to find our way back to that, but doing so in a deliberately, I guess, um, contemporary, modern, in the now sort of way. And a lot of the people who are finding us are people who who want more out of their Chicano politics, Chicanx politics, than just cultural frameworks to, you know, by which to understand their conditions. Today, you know, we, we, we live under capitalism and and people want want to figure out a way to articulate their um, their concerns or their aspirations for something other than what we have now, the status quo. And they're really, um, I think, they're curious and excited to find language that both speaks to their Chicanx politics, but also is um, going beyond them and going beyond just a cultural framework of understanding um, our present condition. And I guess by cultural, like, we're not against culture like i i think we we talked about that a lot we we were like we wanted to be like a a project that does incorporate culture does incorporate art like music literature imagery that is important like words that are important like this concept of nepantla but if it just ended up being like cute selfies i don't know if we'd be super happy with that because <laughs> yeah because symbol I mean symbols are important and they're really powerful and we sort of want to like I think reinfuse some of the symbols with their like histories there's a sort of like amnesia about like the carnalismo pose is one example of this right you're seeing like a lot of like young people sort of taking photos of themselves with the carnalismo pose it's the one that you'll see like some like cholos doing or like the brown berets do it a lot mm-hmm. and you're like on your you're like on one knee and you're like with another person and your arms are locked in. I, it's about. Yes. I knew from the beginning <laughs> that that was cultural appropriation. And I like my rage is every time I see somebody do that pose. Duh. Anyways, just thank you for saying that because I feel like sometimes I'm the only one that's like, that is effed up. I'm really sorry. Yeah, my rage I mean, just took over. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Continue. No, and it happens, I think, by, yeah, I mean, obviously it happens with people who are not Chicano. And that's weird <laughs> but it also happens with chicanos who don't know our history and right. that's that's its, has its, presents its own sort of issues right and not, and i'm not here to like point fingers and blame or be like moralistic about it like we're like yeah there you look really cute like we <laughs> we will heart your instagram post and and also did you know that carnalismo has a specific significance for chicano movement in terms of like fighting against the atomization of like hyper exploited immigrant labor, right? It's like we're not gonna screw each other over on the job or in the community. We're gonna like participate in a sense of like kind of brotherhood. I mean, you know, and then I think what Stella was saying too, right? Like brotherhood is like a very masculinist like framework for that, but there is something about that like politics that was very radical at the time and that is still very radical today. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I think it's I feel like I have all these different questions. So forgive me if this is a little scrambled, but I think it's really powerful that it sounds like you're, you know, you're bringing what sounds like sort of a very academic and theoretical analysis to a platform that is something that is available to the masses. And Melody and I talk a lot about that as professors who uh, are very invested in sort of popular education and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, making education accessible to the masses. So I'm interested in that, but I'm also like very personally resonating with 
and Melody and I have talked about this as well, that once I sort of got through the hurdle of like not understanding what Marx was talking about, you know, after I sort of like Mm -hmm. worked through it, theory was just so fucking important to me in understanding my own oppression as a person who grew up working class and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and forming my, forming my politics in a way that actually made me feel less sort of hopeless and powerless because Mm -hmm. Marxism, uh, you know, I started to meet, you know, very militant Marxists who had like a fucking plan, you know, and I think, Mm -hmm. I think that's really, so, so I think all of that is just a comment. Like, I think it's really cool that you're taking theory, making it really accessible, well, or at least putting it on a platform that enables a lot of people to get access to it. So I guess that's accessibility. But I'm also interested in, this is kind of backing up to a question about sectarianism, I guess, is my question. (laughs) So as SALT, are you really just, I mean, you're saying Chicana, Chicanx, Marxism, but just that, I mean, are there, uh, is it truly going to be sort of a place without, and this isn't accusatory this is just a question because i think i personally think marxism as itself can be used really powerfully in different ways without identifying in in any of these sort of you know i've never belonged officially to any sort of particular sectarian organization but i've am very close with and have you know been in relationships with etc people who have so mm-hmm. i'm just wondering how you're going to sort of enter that conversation because the other thing that mm-hmm. I want to say is that this just sounds so much better than, like, Left Book and, like, all the fucking <laughs> shit that, you know, that when you follow those particular people on Twitter and just get overwhelmed. So that was a ton of mm-hmm. stuff. But if you could just sort of respond to, like, how are how are you going to break through this conversation in a way that isn't just fucking more people making noise on Facebook and making memes that don't necessarily do anything? I don't know. We have an answer to that question, sort of. But um, also about your question about popular education and I think that, I mean, it wasn't a question, it was a comment about popular education and the academic, the tension between academic conversations and non-academic audiences. I think Stella has a great answer to that. But I'll answer this question really quickly first, which is to say that, I mean, in addition to making the best memes, the the dankest (laughs) memes, (laughs) uh, we... We just, we're going to keep finding and carving out spaces where we can. So for myself, I'm about to start a program. I am an, I do have an academic background, I think more than Stella um, in some ways, although Stella is brilliant. Um, I'm about to start a PhD program at um, UCLA Chicano Chicano Studies where, you know, there are people who are really excited about my project and we're like, oh, you're a Marxist. That's great. We love it. Although, you know, Chicano Chicano Studies at UCLA is not a Marxist department. I'm hoping to do this kind of work within that department. Same thing at, um, you know, had I gone to my second choice school, which was the new school, it was a politics department. And there's a lot of Marxists there, but I was going to be like the Chicana person Mm. in the politics department. But I, I mean, similarly, like with what, I mean, I think Stella is a couple years older than me. I'm going to out her. (laughs) <laughs> but she's, like, really paved the way, I mean, in terms of HM, right? Like, finding the streams and the the people that are interested in her project more. Um, we're about to each individually present a paper at HM in the fall, hopefully. I've been, ex- my paper's been accepted into the Marxist feminist stream. So there's a lot of Marxist feminists that are interested in these kinds of questions. Like, maybe we'll carve out some space for SALT in those kinds of spaces. So, like... I think, again, using this sort of framework of, like, Nepantla, 
where it's like we're in between mm-hmm. and we're always going to be in between. And it's not about, you know, maybe in the long term we will have a space where we can do this work out of. In the meantime, we're literally in the in-between interstices, in the silences, in the places that we're not supposed to be. And we're doing it, you know, we're on Instagram. And like, we, we're, we imagine that we're going to, even the way we, we imagine is we're going to have a bunch of haters in the Chicanismex camp and a bunch of haters in the Marxism camp <laughs> and a bunch of people who are like, will see salt as a breath of fresh air because... They'll be like, finally, this is like what I've been missing in like either of these spaces. Yeah. And, you know, like like Maga said, um, I'm not a formal academic. I don't have any sort of degrees. Uh, I'm not entering any Ph.D. programs yet. And and so it's been, you know, that much harder to kind of, you know, weasel my way into these spaces that are decidedly academic. Um, and I only did it out of a very practical need to have answers to these questions that I've been asking for years and that no one's taken seriously or no one's engaged in any sort of productive way. Um, and so I, you know, I just kept asking them and eventually some people were like, Hey, that's a really interesting question. Why don't you present a paper at this conference? And I'm like, Oh, you know, I, I don't do that. I'm not an Mm -hmm. academic. I'm not, I wouldn't even know where to start. Um, and they're like, well, it sounds like you have actually a really good place to start. This very central question of mm. of why is it so hard to find uh, an overlap, or there is an overlap, but why are there no more, or why aren't there enough or more Chicanas, Chicanos, who are self-identifying as Marxists? We have um, we have both somebody who's um, in academia about to start a really exciting um, PhD program, and and has been working within academic you know, spaces out, as well as outside of academic spaces to further investigate these questions. And then there's me who, who's not, you know, who's not been exposed to this, um, these spaces in academia because I'm not in school. I don't, you know, I'm not in these uh, ac- formal academic spaces um, all the time. But being able to to do the sort of education that I, you know, um, that I've done outside of academia to be able to formulate the questions, first of all, you know, like a lot of times for formulating these very questions is, is a challenge itself, because how do you, how do you articulate something that you don't even have the language for, right? Mm-hmm. And so coming to Marxism, coming to Chicanismics and trying to find a way to, uh, to synthesize them, not just, you know, develop both of these things parallel to each other, I mean, has been really important to our development together. But I think it's also going to be really important for the project, um, for people to feel that, you know, this isn't just a, a purely academic space in that, you know, white, white ivory tower sort of thing, but that it's actually a space for um, for theory to be accessible, made accessible to the masses. And the fact that the masses, the working class, has every ability to be an intellectual, to engage in intellectual debate and to learn these things that you don't you know, you don't necessarily have to be in academia to to be engaged, that you can, you know, that salt can be one of those places that you come to ask these questions, to figure out these, you know, voice these concerns or even begin to formulate them. And and I think that's one really important, I guess, dynamic within salt that we want it to be that space where we're, you know, we are talking about very um, deliberate and specific political questions, theoretical questions, but we're also we're also wanting to figure out how to make it accessible and how to encourage people who aren't academics 
to, you know, to feel that they are able to engage with academics around these questions. Yeah. And I think that part of how we're doing it is like we said, right? Like, I think the point that Stella made is really true. Like, people might not see themselves as producers of knowledge, but a lot of like the Chicanx tradition is very rife with knowledge production that takes place, for example, through cultural production, a lot of music making, folk music, a lot of folk art. I mean, I, I guess it's, we're, we're a little bit exaggerating when you say like there weren't any Chicano Marxists. There were, are some like really important folks that were trying to make connections with um, like your homie that is, Oh, Justin Akers Chacon. Justin Akers Chacon, who's writing this book about the history of um, Chicano radicalism, cool. which hasn't been isn't out yet, but it's going to be incredible. So there are people, but but the vast majority of how like the Chicanx movement has done um, culture production um, or knowledge production has been through this question of culture, and I think that um, Salt is really, really trying to tap into that question and like metaphors and literature to kind of like disturb the contours of like what is like academic thought or knowledge production or like epistemology, right? Mm -hmm. For example, with the first issue, we've been playing around a lot with this image of the nopal or the cactus. So our, our cover, we've already got the cover for our first issue, which is not even out yet. But we're trying to say with the cover, with a wild nopal, that we're embodying the ethics of this nopal which is you know understood to be resilient incredibly resilient very challenging and spiky (laughs) (laughs) and also you know we're saying that if the conditions are right it's able to produce this really sweet delicious red tuna fruit so it's like very fruitful potentially if under the right conditions and our name i think is another great example of we were kind of like we need to have a name that's like catchy that people uh, will be like what is that so salt is actually spelled S-A-L and then with an open parenthesis T and a closed parenthesis. So it's bilingual. It's like sal and salt. Well, it's just pronounced salt. Mm-hmm. We try to parenthesize this T at the end because we're really inspired by the retelling of this history of resistance. Um, I don't you I'm sure you've seen it, but the film Salt of the Earth, which was released in 1954, mm-hmm. I think we think is a really important part of this history of the intersection of Chicanismo and Marxism. It tells the story about these striking miners, the community of striking miners in New Mexico. It's an incredible film. If you haven't seen it, I highly encourage you to watch it. But for their for participating in the film and for acting in the film, the actors who portrayed these um, real life strikers were tried in the anti-communist House Un-American Activities Committee, and they were blacklisted. They were part of the Hollywood Ten. Some of them were deported. And to this day, it's the only film that was ever blacklisted during the anti-communist Red Scare, um, which to us really speaks to the fact that uh, a story about Mexican-American workers rising up has always been a huge threat to American capital. And we're like, let's remember that salt. We've also, you know, parenthesized the T as a play on the word thought, you know, T-H-O-U-G-H-T, but also the word thought, T-H-O-T, 
which stands for that hoe over there, mm-hmm. um, which is typically used as a derogatory term for women um, or women that are perceived or seen as being promiscuous or overtly sexual. Um, and by doing this, it's really allowing us to introduce the dynamics of um, both intellectual production, you know, thought and sexuality into the inquiries that we're making at this intersection of, uh, of Marxism and Chicanismex or Chicanx politics. And, you know, the parenthesized T also allows us to interrogate two things. You know, one, who gets to be and be seen as producers of intellectual content, um, both in and out of uh, of the academy. And two, uh, why the sexualization of women of color is so intimately linked to our racialization. Mm-hmm. So, as you can see, there's so much going on in the name. Yeah. There's sal, there's salt. You know, there's the bilingual aspect. There's also the history of, of you know, this uh, this film and, and the the story on which the real life story on which it's based as well as you know wanting to engage questions of sexuality and um and who gets to to be um seen as cultural and be cultural product uh, or pr- producers of intellectual content that's so cool i love all of those meanings we don't we certainly don't have time today but maybe we could have you back sometime we've had a lot of discussions about sex work and i um i think i saw on your page that you guys posted a like a signal boost for an event about marxism and sex work and so uh, yeah i'd be i just would be so interested to hear you all uh, expand on that, but maybe for another time. Do you have any other questions? I had, I mean, I could, I have like a million more things I could mm-hmm. talk about, but Mel, do you want to jump in at all? I just wanted to say before we wrap up that I just think it's really rad that you have used, acad- I love the story about going to academic conferences as not an academic and like using that space for what you need it to be, like especially as an academic, um, horrible academic conferences can be sometimes just that like you harness that space and just use it for what you need to, I just think is like totally rad. And I just wanted to amplify that because academia sucks sometimes, but uh-huh. You used it in a really amazing way. So I just wanted to make that comment. Yeah, that's that's all I had, though. I just wanted to say one more thing, Well, just because you're both on, on the call, that one of my favorite memes that I think is like an unpopular opinion that I saw, I don't remember if it was on Salt or Stella, because I follow you too, Stella. It was a Paris Hilton thing about, it's not my job to teach you. Am I remembering this correctly? I shared a similar meme, which my meme is based on. I shared it with with Maga and we had, you know, we had a laugh. So many radicalized people um, think that it's not their job. And so just, you know, not out of (laughs) a little bit out of pettiness, but mostly (laughs) out of like just wanting to use the, you know, the meme platform or the meme medium we really wanted to well i I made it just out of you know this this very real concern that we have with with people not wanting to share the ideas that can empower others a lot of people either dm'd me or went on facebook and were like hey that was really funny meme but true i'm i'm tired of being told to go use google to look up something like where do i even start what do i google how do you even like find that stuff out right especially when you don't have the language to articulate a specific question that that needs to be uh, that needs a conversation to to have it drawn out but you also lost a ton of instagram friends you were like (laughs) i lost like 28 people 30 people and i was like you know if you if you if you took this meme that you know to heart like that 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 means that you should probably go think about it a little bit more but yeah well it reminds me of what you said earlier about you know the the critiques of the women's march like you have to be privileged to strike and it's like do you know about history do you know who strikes (laughs) in history like it's just I just think it's sort of just a historical when when people who are marginalized and oppressed, which, you know, and it's su- it fucking sucks that marginalized and oppressed people have to do a bunch more emotional labor and all of those things. But also like social change throughout history has 
happened because marginalized and oppressed people have like gone above and beyond and things like that. So, yeah. yeah. Actually, there's a great um, MAGA wrote a piece for the nation a couple a uh, couple months ago answering that specific question about whether or not striking is a privilege. Mm. Um, so you mm-hmm. guys should definitely check it out. But yeah, no, I mean, at the end of the day, what it comes down to, you know, is that we're we're not trying to be woke. We're not trying to be the wokest. We're not trying to be, you know, whatever the most informed or the baddest. We we just we're we're trying to figure out the best possible way to get free. I love that. What a wonderful note to end on. Thank you both so much. I'm a white lady, so it's, you know, not whatever. But but I'm 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 still I'm still incredibly excited about about this and we're just really, really grateful that that you wanted to come on and, and share this with us. Uh stay tuned for issue one, which should be out at the end of summer sometime. Um we'll shoot you all a message when we are um gonna launch it. It's we're you know, we're we're finishing it up, then it's gonna hit the printers and then we'll figure out how to best distribute it. And we will link to the Instagram account, the Facebook, and then we'll also link to some of the things you mentioned in the newsletter that we send out to folks who uh, subscribe to our newsletter. But do you just want to say out loud on air um, the the handle? Yeah, totally. So on Instagram, it is salt, S-A-L-T dot X-M-T. And on Facebook, it's salt colon Chicana Marxist thoughts. Awesome. Thank you so much. We're so appreciative. Thank you guys. Thanks for having us.